Well, good morning, Sunrise. Welcome to worship on this beautiful spring day. It's so good to be here worshiping with you and singing with you. And welcome to our online worshipers as well. So good to be with you. Why don't you guys stand with us? We're going to worship this morning. We're going to sing loudly. We are going to uh, raise a hallelujah in this place. We know when we sing, when we worship our God, that the atmosphere changes, our demeanor changes, the enemy flees. So let's sing and let's sing it out loud today, why don't we? Let's worship.
know about you, I think it's pretty gracious of God that not only can we worship him, but that he meets us in that and can just meet our needs. So I don't know about you, I'm, I needed that this morning. So it's great to worship with everybody. Um, my name is Carissa, and I am just a, a partner here at Sunrise been so for about a decade or so. It's been a long time. Um, and I just want to welcome you, and I'm, I'm thankful that we all get to worship here together this morning. Uh, if you are here for one of your first times or the very first time, we really just want to welcome you, and we want to um, help you get to know more about us, and we'd love to know a little bit more about you. So if you are here in person, um, if you would just Take your phone and scan that QR. There are still some on the seats that should be up there on the screen. That'll take you to our website, and there's just a form that you can fill out to give us a little bit of information um, about yourself just so that we can welcome you. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comments, and you can click on that, and it'll take you to the same place. We would love to send you a gift later this week just to welcome you. And if you're here in person, we have a gift for you in person too. So you can double dip and that is totally encouraged. Um, all you have to do if you're here in person is just stop at the connect table in the lobby after the service. Um, we do have a lot of announcements of exciting things coming up. Um, I am a mom and a teacher, so I'm doubly excited that summer is coming. And uh, yes, yeah, I like the woohoos. <laughs> I think that might have been from a certain administrator in our midst, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, but we have a lot of great things going on for the summer. First up, Three's company is going to be kicking off another round. I feel like we need a count. I don't know. This is probably like... Round 20, 30, I don't know. Um, this is a great way to get connected, and it doesn't have to mean that you're somebody new. Um, I know our family, we've gone through this a bunch of times, and it's great because you get to meet new people every time. Um, what we do is just connect you um, three singles, couples, or families, and uh, you meet together once a month for three months. It's nothing formal, it's super relaxed. We threw axes a couple of months ago. I had never done that before. I was a little scared, but we survived. Um, so it's a great way to get connected. You can sign up on the website. Also, next week is our official kickoff for the Bible Buddies. And this is, I think, just our second year doing this. I know my son loved it last summer. Um, there's more information on the website and on the screen behind me, but basically you can pick out a little stuffed animal or a squishy and a Bible reading plan, and kids can do the reading plan, and they get to keep their little Bible buddy, and then you have some fun things at the end of the summer to celebrate your accomplishments. Also, Sunrise Day Camp registration has been going on for a while, but that is closing soon. That's closing on May 31. So check out the website to learn more and register your kids. And again, sorry, Liam, I'm just going to say my youngest is really bummed that he's aged out of this. He had a blast last summer. So if you've got elementary age kids, um, you'll want to sign them up. And you can just sign them up for the dates that work if you can't do all of them. Those are on Tuesdays throughout the summer. 
Also, two weeks from today, we want to take some time in the service to celebrate our graduates. Um, that can be high school graduates or college or grad school. I missed out on this when I graduated grad school. No, that's okay. Um, so if you are a graduate or a parent of a graduate, um, send some info to Corey, and we just want to get that compiled before June 4. Finally, the official start of summer. Um, on June 9, we are going to have a summer bonfire here at church at 6.27 p.m. So try to make it memorable there. 6.27, um, you can even bring notebooks and things that you want to burn from the school year. We're going to have s'mores and games and just celebrate together. So come on out, students, kids, everybody, come on out. It should be a great time. Um, we are gonna move into par partner affirmation here in just a second, but before we do that, I also just wanna invite you, um, if you do call Sunrise home or you're just feeling generous this morning, um, we have three different ways that you can give. Um, if you're here in person, we have the box back there by the doors. You can give online, and if you're watching online or you forgot your money this morning, you can always send a check into the office too. But I'm gonna pass it on to Dennis okay. to share with us. Thank you very much. All right, let's, uh, let's thank Carissa for help leading us in worship this morning. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, I gotta say this because things like this distract me. As, right, as an educator, I don't know how I feel about the whole book burning thing. Um, no, yeah, I know, right? It's, it's your notes and things like that. It's not, we're, we're not going to burn classics or anything like that. Or any, <laughs> Thank you, Lillian. All right, here at Sunrise, um, we don't have members, we have partners. And this is more than just a semantic distinction. You see, at the, at, at the lowest level, partners are people who see Sunrise as their church. Uh, beloved family who understands their gifts, who knows their skills, and who functions according to their passions. And they know that that's essential to building the church that we call Sunrise Ministry. In, in most places, um, men, members are seen as uh, people who fund ministries, who fill slots on a schedule, who fill seats at a Sunday gathering. Um, but we want to see partners as much more than that. We, we see partnership here at Sunrise as people who are courageously sharing their stories about how they're following Jesus and how he is changing them. We agree to a basic faith statement that says the Bible is the authoritative, inspired word of God, that God is eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that the church is the organism that Christ is building to help further and establish his kingdom, that salvation is found exclusively in and by and through the person work of Jesus Christ, and that we have a blessed hope that one day Jesus is coming to set things right. We declare a willingness to uphold the mission of Sunrise Ministries, and that is to simply allow God through us to transform the world through his grace and love. We commit to use our time, our skills, our resources to serve the church. We choose to intentionally grow spiritually, to commit to being a community who, in the essentials, have unity, in the non-essentials, show liberty, and in all beliefs, cling to charity. This morning, we have the opportunity to welcome new partners into our midst. Over the last couple of weeks, last few weeks, uh, Dan and I have been able to lead uh, a couple different partnership classes, um, and there were several folks, several families that, that attended those just with sort of the idea of finding out more about, about Sunrise and what, who we are as a family and what we're all about. And so these folks that are going to be standing this morning have declared that they are with us individually and corporately as we are attempting to become a biblical, evangelistic, authentic, compassionate, and thankful community. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to list a few names and people are going to stand up. 
Um, and we are then going to take about three minutes and we're going to welcome them. Um, you can shake their hands. You can say hello. If you're a hugger like me, ask for permission. But then I'm sure, right, Evan, you can. He's like, I don't know. We'll see. All right. All right. I'll go test it out. And if I'm on the ground because Evan has thrown me down, then don't hug him. Um, but one of the things that, that, that we talked about in, in the partnership uh, class was how it's not just who we are, but it's who we want to become. And friends, maybe this is just a good reminder for all of us to consider this. Here at Sunrise Ministry, we want to be a people that are less about effort and more about Jesus. That we're more than just seeing people as volunteers to fill a slot, but we want to see people become the masterpiece that God dreams them to be. We want to move from a place that promotes guilt and shame to a place that promotes love and grace. A place that sees people empowered to use their gifts. That it's not about a professional clergy doing the work of ministry, being supported by the congregation. But it's about a professional clergy supporting ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to do his work. It's a ministry that's not based upon a come and see kind of a model, but a go and be kind of a model of being Jesus' disciples. We want to be a place that is more about prayer than we are strategy. And so with this, um, some of our new partners that have attended the class, uh, and some of them are here today. There's going to be another affirmation I show in a couple of weeks, right, Dan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think he was paying attention. He just agreed with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll correct you later. That's how this normally goes. All right, so those who are saying uh, with this morning that you know, Sunrise is, is, is their church home and that they are, are coming on board uh, as partners, uh, the lovely and talented Amy Moles, if you would stand where you are. Uh, the lovely and talented Ben Nordemir, would you please stand? The talented Mike Messenger. You see what I did there, Michael? Evan and Jessica Ritchie. Ben and Caitlin Jordan. Okay, before I announce the last name, every time somebody asks me when, I'm t- when I talk about Ben, they're like, who is Ben again? And I'm like, you know, he's the guy that looks like Jesus in a lumberjack had a baby. <laughs> and they're always like, oh, yeah. And Corey Williamson. All right, friends, we're going to, we're going to pray for these, for these folks, and then we're going to take just a few minutes, and, and we're going to greet them. Um, but isn't it good? Isn't it good that over the last few months, we've had so many people that God has brought to this family? Um, aren't you excited that in a couple of weeks, we're going to have two little ones that are going to be baptized and, and dedicated? Um, and they're both here this morning, I think, somewhere. I think, did Sloan sneak out? Okay, but she's here somewhere, yeah. Um, life finds a way. And we're so thankful. We're so thankful that in the midst of, of, of all the struggles over the last few years, that God continues to bring people to us. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you now for these friends that are standing. We thank you for their life and their love. We thank you for their grace. We thank you for bringing them a part, uh, to be a part of, of, of our lives, Lord, for placing us all in the same sheep pen. We thank you for their gifts and their abilities, Lord. We thank you for the, the, Lord, the journeys that they've taken. And we just pray, Father, now that you would bless them in a special way. Father, we pray that this morning uh, that, Holy Spirit, you would just have your will on your way, that you would be, be the preacher, the communicator um, of your good truths to us. So, Father, we pray that as we take these next few minutes to, to welcome these friends, that you would just in- inhabit the praise of your people and that you would continue to guide us and carry us along. We thank you for these friends. We pray that you would bless them indeed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so the children can be dismissed to Children's Church and take a few minutes and greet one another and greet these dear friends. All right. 
All right. So this morning, we are going to be continuing our series, Jesus Said, and today we're actually going to be swinging back and we're going to pick up a phrase that you have probably heard many times over the last several weeks. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. And today, we're going to be looking at a large passage of Scripture um, out of Matthew chapter 5. We're actually going to be swinging back and, and, and taking in a few more verses uh, even before uh, we get to verse 21. Last week was a really good reminder, was it not, from Pastor Krista and from uh, Lindsay? A reminder to me and to all of us that we don't always come to the Bible free of assumptions. As a matter of fact, for the most part, we bring our assumptions and our cultural context to the Scriptures. I was reminded of this as they shared those very embarrassing stories about Noah and Pastor Corey. Because the reality is, I too fill in the gaps when I read a passage of Scripture. I craft a story into which it sits and into which it fits. And most of the time, the story that I craft has more to do with my cultural setting than it does with the cultural setting of the Scripture itself. So that's why I I think it's providential this morning that that we're actually going to be swinging back and finishing up this section of Matthew chapter 5, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, by looking at a passage of Scripture, a large section or chunk that communicates not just what Jesus said, but it shows us how Jesus read the Bible and how we ought to engage the Scriptures. In this passage of Scripture, what we're going to do is we're going to read a large chunk and we're going to see and expose how Jesus himself read and then engaged with the Torah. Well, how did Jesus read and engage the Scriptures? Well, well, the answer is, or, or mostly is, he would have engaged them mostly through his ears more so than even through his eyes, meaning he would have heard them more than he read them. Oh, Jesus was literate for sure, right? He stood up in the temple, he got the scroll, he explained them, but But Jesus would have learned the scriptures mostly by hearing them read, and not just verses or short paragraphs, but large chunks of scripture at a time, the Torah, the prophets, the writing. And not only would he have heard them read, he would have committed them as any good Jewish young man in his day would have committed large sections, large tracts of the scriptures to memory. He would have recited certain sections to himself, like the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He would have read it and heard it read in his own language. He would have heard it and engaged it according to the cultural backdrop that was his moment. He would have read it. He would have heard it read in light of his inherited communal and familial culture. He was, after all, a son of Abraham, an heir of David, a part of the worshiping community. Jesus Jesus would have applied the scriptures, and we see him doing this according to his Jewish sensibility. He would have seen them as meditation literature. Jesus would have understood that all the parts of the Torah, the prophets, and the writing form a grand story. A story that told him who he was. And a story that tells us who we are. A story that more importantly, not only just tells us who we are, but it tells us who God is. A story that doesn't simply convey truth statements that lay flat on a page, but that embodies truth delivered in time and space. The Holy Scriptures, as Jesus understood them, were an invitation into the work that God is doing in the world, encapsulated in time and in space. A story of how God is acting in and through and among his covenant people. So with that this morning, we're going to engage the scriptures as Jesus did. 
A reading from the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands or teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vow you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or Uh, For it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I wish. (laughs) All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said... Eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asked you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, uh, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This section of scripture begins with an unspoken and an underlying accusation. Everything that we've covered over the last several weeks, right? All of the passages that we've preached, save the passage that we saw last week and the one that mom helped me preach a few weeks ago, we've talked through and we've, we, we've seen Jesus' context. We've seen how, how, how the Roman occupation plays a large part in how he's applying the very laws that the Jews were given a millennia before. 
And as we read this large tract, large chunk of scripture this morning, we saw that it begins with this accusation. And the accusation really could be rendered something like this. Jesus, you're not taking the Bible seriously. Jesus, you're being unbiblical some way, some form in your teaching or your lifestyle. We, we see before or after, right during Jesus' ministry, one of the great accusations that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had upon Jesus, one of their, their, their key tactics of him was to confront either his practice or his teaching and to try to convey to the people that were following him that Jesus was in some way, shape, or form unbiblical. But ironically, the thing that Jesus was being accused of doing, doing damage to the scriptures, was actually the thing that those who were accusing him were doing. They were doing damage to the scriptures, you see, because they were doing damage to the people with their interpretation and application of the scriptures. The unspoken accusation is rooted in this, is that Jesus is saying that when you harm people, when you harm the image of God, you display a lack of love for the creator and a lack of love for the neighbor. And in so doing, it's not about what you do so much with your hands. It's about the inclination of your heart. You see, Jesus isn't just confronting self-righteous religious people who are justifying their hellish hearts. He's actually exposing a key and a significant misunderstanding that is harming people. With the phrase, right? You heard the repetition, didn't you? This is how Jesus would have been taught to, to engage the scriptures. All throughout the law and the prophets and the writings, you see these key phrases. You see these key events over and over being recycled. And you, you, you see the events coming around and around. And, and Jesus uses this mechanism when he's teaching in this sermon. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus wasn't undermining Torah as the teachers of Torah assumed and accused. He was, in fact, doing the opposite. He was elevating Torah by exposing its true nature and purpose. And that was not just a legal code, but wisdom from God that helps us obey him in everyday life. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was doing what had been done for eons before. He was contextualizing Torah for his hearers. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, offer them the other cheek. If someone asks you to go one mile, go the second mile. If someone takes your outer garment, give them your inner garment. Most of the illustrations that Jesus was talking about here, most of the, the examples that he were given were issues. Remember, we, we talked about the, the divorce passage and the adultery passage. Jesus was confronting a theological debate in his day. He was talking about how do we obey the Torah when Roman soldiers tell us, walk one mile. How do we obey Torah when we stand before unrighteous Roman judges? How do we obey Torah when we have an occupying force that's coming and they are unjustly persecuting us? How do we obey Torah when our own teachers of the law can't even agree? Jesus was doing what had been done through the entire Old Testament. He was taking the you have heard it said and he was making it important for the people in his day. The only way that Jesus was able to do this, or, or one of the ways I think that Jesus was able to do this, was, was by understanding that the, the authority of the scriptures, you have heard it said, but I say to you, comes from somewhere other than the scriptures. Okay, now why, some of you may be getting uncomfortable. Um, and maybe what I'm about to say may make many of you more uncomfortable. Um, of course, right, if you've been here for more than two or three weeks, you're like, yeah, I'm used to it by now. <laughs> By saying that you have heard it said, Jesus was appealing to the scriptures as his authority. But by saying, I have said to you, he was reminding his listeners something that we need to be reminded of. That the authority of the Bible is derived from God himself. The Torah was a gift. A gift of instruction that God gave to his people. And it wasn't used or thought of 
in sort of a, a statutory or codified way, the way we think of it. The, the, the Torah was always applied via case law. We're going to give an example of that here, here in just a minute. But, but part of the thing that, that we struggle with, I think, that when we think of, of the law is we think of the legal code that we uh, function according to in the United States. We superimpose our contextual context on this, right? We think of the speed limit. We think of standing before a judge. We think of, let's be honest, the fact that deep in our DNA as citizens of the United States is we are very proud of the fact that we have no king the law is king. Jesus didn't think like this. Right? Jesus wasn't a part of our modern, didn't carry along our modern sensibilities. You see, for Jesus, the law wasn't king. Now hang with me here, right? So the Sabbath wasn't made or man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. For Jesus, God was king. And the law's authority was derived from him. And the law was good when it manifested the will of the king. Right? See, the Sabbath laws were good. Until somebody's donkey fell into a hole and had to be pulled out. The Sabbath laws were good until people were starving and needed to rub some grain in their hands to provide for their life. See, the Sabbath law was good, but, but the law of life was greater. The law is best. Jesus knew and Jesus understood. Not just when it pointed to the king, but when it was embodied by him. You have heard it said, but I say to you, don't think that I've come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill it. Jesus gives several, several other examples that, that, that cause me to wonder or to think or to maybe even ask the question, what, what if? What if Jesus had a greater point here than just explaining or or calling back to Torah, what if Jesus was doing something that is essential and that is, that is important? What if he was accommodating and contextualizing the law of God, which is a good and gracious gift? What if he was not only accommodating, contextualizing, what if he was personifying? What if he was saying, this is how this looks with skin on? And so in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, where he says, do not murder, do not slay, do not kill. That, that's what the Hebrew word was. In the Ten Commandments, it, it wasn't specifically murder, it, it, it was kill. The, the Hebrew word was used for all kinds of things in the Old Testament, for, for manslaughter, for accidental killing, for um, um, go government executions, all of those kinds of, of things. But, but the problem is, is that we know intuitively that all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. So when Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, what's he doing? He's doing what the writers of Torah did before him. Because the law of God lives in the what if. Yes, we understand the, the instruction, do not kill, but, but what if the death is accidental? Well, what if it's a revenge killing? Well, what if it's just a cold-blooded murder? What if two men are fighting and, and one kills the other accidentally? What if two men are fighting and they accidentally cause the death of an unborn baby? What if someone falls off the roof of my house and I don't have a railing? What if I do have a railing and they still fall off the roof of my house to their death? You see... The law answers all of these questions. Why? Because God's highest ideal is that human image bearers ought not to kill one another. <clears throat> that killing another human breaks us and bends us in a way that is harmful to the community and is harmful to the individual. But what if... 
what if all of these other circumstances because God understands Jesus understands that you have heard it said but I say to you because we live in the grit of the day today one of my favorite examples of this is what if my ox kills somebody and Ephesians 21 says well it's an ox what do you expect stay out of an ox's way But then the next verse says, what if it kills somebody again? (laughs) And then the text says, oh, oh, so your ox is a known maimer, killer, right? Have you shaved off its horns? Have you done these? You've heard it said, but I say to you. In verse 27, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but... But I say to you, it, it, it doesn't matter if, if the person you're committing adultery with is unmarried. It's still sin. It doesn't matter if you're far away from home or at war. The people of God, our way is not to rape and to pillage. It doesn't matter if she has burned the dinner according to the certain rabbinic tradition. It doesn't matter if you're not satisfied with her any longer, right? So Jesus takes these and he puts them down. He, he, he puts them down into real life context just the same as the Torah did. What does it mean for me, verse 33, in my time, in my space, to not run off at the mouth and say things I'm going to regret? What does it mean for me to not say what I don't mean? What does it mean for me to be a known truth teller? What does it mean for me to let my yes be yes and my no be no? What does it mean for me to not live according, verse 33, to the law of retribution, to get my own way, to seek revenge? You see, friends, the the written code can never be exhaustive enough to cover every situation or account for every eventuality, and Jesus knew this. That's why the purpose of the Torah was never to give us a code to follow perfectly. It was to give us a story that showed us how we can engage with and follow the wisdom of God in our lives. As I'm looking back over my life, I think that far too often I've fallen into the same trap as Jesus' off-camera accusers did. Far too often when when I came to the scriptures, I've stopped with the you have heard it said. Chapter, verse, law, rule, regulation. And sometimes, many times, what I had heard that the scriptures said wasn't what they actually said. Right, just like last week. Well, there was this dinner party at Mary and Martha's house. You see, for me, you have, what you have heard that it was said was, was often what I was taught or what I thought or, or the story that I had constructed to, to give meaning to the particular passage of Scripture. And, and far too often what I've done is, is to do damage to the passage of Scripture at hand because I haven't seen it as a living, breathing application and manifestation that was perfectly embodied in Jesus Christ. I've just simply searched the sacred text as a history book, as a theology book, as a a book of moral codes, and then situated it in a way that best fits with my sensibilities and my theology and my preferences. As the worship team comes, have you ever gotten into a conversation with somebody and, and you've made a, some kind of a theological point and you've quoted a passage of scripture and the person you're talking to says, well, it can't mean that because, and they cite another passage of scripture? Benjamin, you're laughing at me because I know you've had this conversation, probably with me, right? <laughs> and we bend, we, we fail to hold the sacred text intention, right? Because we want to bend it into a systematized theological uh, uh, grid that makes sense to us. But what if Jesus is saying that that was never the point of the text to begin with? Because you've heard it said, and yes, God says, don't kill because killing is bad. But the reality is, 
is that sometimes we need wisdom in how to apply the legal code. You see, far more often for me, it was with the right intention, with the wrong execution, that I've superimposed my own cultural sensibilities upon the ancient text without taking the time to consider the time and space or story within which it was brought. This is the brilliance of Jesus, folks. And what I want you to, to think about and concentrate on over the next few weeks is that all of these Roman illustrations that Jesus is using were illustrations and context that the original writer of the Torah never would have imagined. But what Jesus is doing is he's putting skin on the law of God. I wonder if one way that we can get around this is is to not with oversimplicity or, or not with sort of an individual application, but I, but I wonder if what Jesus is inviting us to do is to ask the simple question when we come to a part of the scripture that maybe is hard for us to grapple with and to understand. Is that as we seek God's wisdom in that moment for what it means for us and what it means for our community and what it means for our world, is to simply ask God What are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? Because we've heard all kinds of things said. But Jesus, what are you saying to me? <laughs> That's the thing is that in this passage, Jesus isn't reinforcing what we've always thought or heard the Bible say. He's turning it on its head and saying, how do you love God and how do you love your neighbor in the midst of your cultural context in a way that matters and points people to Jesus, that sees folks transformed by the grace and the love of God. I mean, I had a friend over this week. And our friend is on a unique journey. A journey that we never, ever, ever thought we would be invited into but ones that we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of. And our friend, our friend is making choices that we don't understand and we really don't have a context for. But we love them. Our friend is making choices that, that have political ramifications and, and have theological ramifications and we're, we're not sure how to navigate this stream, but what we know is that we love Allie. And that we're her people. And that even in the midst of the struggle, and that even in the midst of the test, and that even in the midst of the, of the confusion, that Jesus is saying something to us in this moment. He's saying that there is a dear child of his who needs his love. My friends, you've heard it said. The question I have for you this morning as we close and as we sing is what is Jesus saying to you? So Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. In your kindness, and God, we just pray that you would continue to be with us. That you would lead us in your path. That you would help us, Father, to, to embody your word. Lord, that the law, the Torah, it's a good gift. And it has good for us. Help us, Lord, to let you shine through it and us as we go out into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And God's people said, go in his peace.